Well, good morning, good morning. I'm still trying to get over that onesie thing. Yeah. And I don't know, it, it would take a lot of big dollar amounts on those 10 commitments. But, you know, there's rhyme and reason. You t- <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, happy Father's Day. I, uh, I know that uh, it's a day that uh, sometimes just passes by quickly, but uh, everybody on Facebook starts to light up with the pictures of their dad or when they're younger, so I thought I would take that opportunity and show you a picture of my dad with his family, and uh, this was taken nine years ago. That is my father in the middle. He had, he and my mom raised five of us kids. I have an older sister, um, two older brothers, myself, and then a younger sister. And between the five of us, there are 18 cousins. And uh, in the last two weeks, I've had opportunity to see 13 of those 18, or 15 of those 18, I think. That was at the first wedding of the first cousin. And, uh, you know, you look at pictures, and you sort of pause moment in time. And you reflect, and you think... And what we want to do here on this Father's Day is take this series that we started into, and um, it's for everybody what we're going to share today, but I want to angle it towards dads. Because what you see in that picture is um, my dad's legacy. In Proverbs 20, verse 7, it says, The righteous man walks in his integrity, his children are blessed after him. And the legacy that my dad left was a legacy of many children and grandchildren who seek to follow Christ. And uh, my dad did not grow up in a Christian home. He didn't know what uh, Easter was about until he was 17 years old, he said. Fully understood it. Got married and my mom um, walked with the Lord through good upbringing, but uh, my dad never fully crossed that line of faith until one camp meeting night back in the Midwest. Do you know what camp meetings were? They'd put up a big uh, tent tent meeting, and there'd be sawdust on the trail, and they would bring in evangelists for the week, and it was in a tent meeting that my dad walked the sawdust trail and gave his life to Christ. I want to ask you this question, dads. What kind of legacy are you leaving for your kids? Every dad leaves a legacy, good, bad, and indifferent. And uh, we've got some moments here this morning, so I'm just going to encourage you to take the moments with me and reflect. What kind of legacy did your father give you? And I'm just going to let you stand and share a few words. What was it that your dad passed on to you? Anybody? A way to honor dads this morning. Just You, you don't have to stand, Diane. My dad, uh, he was a New York City fireman. And uh, what he passed on to me is to, is to help others, to give to others. Actually, I never really, as a child, knew 
he was the hero, first responder. Mm. And it wasn't until 911 hit, uh, and I realized my dad was a hero. And he kept mm. on to me, never to turn your back against anybody, just be there for them. And basically, he just was a wonderful man. Mm. That's good. Did everybody hear that? I'll make sure everybody hears things. Someone else, a legacy your dad passed on to you. It's good to take a moment in time and think about it. Yeah, just stand and say your name. My name is Diana, and my dad um, uh, always taught me he was a very faithful man, and he always taught me that uh, life is a journey of one of two ways. And no matter what choice we live, we always have the choice between the right way and another way until life is done, and then we still have one of two ways. It's hmm. good, yes. Thanks, Diane. What did your dad I wasn't pass reaching on to grab you? it. I was reaching to carry it. <laughs> Hi, my name is Lucy, and um, my dad, I would say, he didn't have um, the opportunity to f attend school and finish school because his dad died when, well, his mom died when he was three, and then his dad died when he was 13, so he had to raise his younger son, I mean, his younger brother, and go to work, mm -hmm. and um, so he, to me, he ended up being an entrepreneur, being able to build his own custom home, send us to Catholic school, and um, to me, he showed that no matter what, as long as you um, have a passion and um, um, just believe in yourself that you can make it, um, you can make it, and obviously for me, it's you know having the Lord in my life to mm -hmm. guide me in the direction, and over the years, that's kind of, I've had that passion of going into entrepreneur and that's what I'm doing now so that's great Lucy thank you hello my name is Jace uh, I actually have two fathers that uh, I want to talk about um, first is uh, my biological father um, wasn't around much, so he actually taught me how important it is to be there for your kids. And uh, my other father, uh, he's been there, he's my stepdad, he's been there in my life for, or since the beginning. And uh, he didn't come for much, so he taught me how important it is to work hard for everything you have and to give that to your kids and your family. Great, James. Hi, my name is Tom. Uh, my dad was my uh, my best friend while he was alive. Uh, we did everything together. We uh, worked together. Uh, he had a furniture store. I delivered furniture with him. He taught me how to fix stuff and how to work hard. He taught me how to fish. And uh, it was really hard to see him go when he went, but he loved the Lord, mm -hmm. and uh, that was a, an impression on my mind for the rest of my life. Mm. Great, Tom. Good. Uh, my name is Joe, and 
My, I just stepped in. <laughs> my stepdad taught me fashion. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I didn't have really, my dad was in and out of my life growing up. And uh, the legacy he kind of left was a lesson of uh, early on that, you know, just because people are your family, that doesn't mean they will always be there. And it was a hard legacy that I left. But my stepfather showed me, although he wasn't a man of God, what true unconditional love meant. The fact that he would choose to be my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, you know, as a musician, watching my dad, who was also a stepdad and also a musician, sell guitars to buy us Christmas gifts and get rid of equipment and things like that to give to us so we had something just for fun, just so that I know he's loved. And I mean, mm-hmm. my fondest memory of my father is that the first Christmas he was my dad. He bought us an Xbox, and it was like the newest thing we'd ever gotten growing up, kind of poor. And my response to him was, why would you do this? And he said, because I love you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know how to take it. To this day, I think about it and think, I can't wait to one day to be able to do that to my son or daughter, to be able to say, because mm-hmm. I love you. And that's enough of a reason to feel the way I felt and they felt. So That's cool, Joe. Mine wasn't an Xbox. It was an Atari. <laughs> pong! Pong! <laughs> I feel for you, Gary. Uh, my name is Ron, and the legacy that my father brought to me or left me was the legacy of music um you know he was a musician i mean not by profession but um and but he started teaching me guitar when i was like four years old and started teaching me to read music before i really even knew how to read words or books and he also taught all all my brothers and sisters and he made sure that we all enrolled and took part in the school music program which is where i learned to play drums and um, when we moved up to Modesto, when I was in uh, junior high school, my brother, brothers and sister were in high school. It was a brand new high school, and uh, he was very instrumental in uh, helping develop the fledgling music program there of a brand new school. And he was the first president of the band Boosters, and there was no bigger supporter of music in schools and at home than my dad. And I- I'm all the more blessed for it. And also, I believe there are many others out there that benefited from it as well, besides just my family. Thanks, Ron. That's cool. You got Austin there. Hi, uh, my name's Austin. Um, my dad, uh, he was a great example um, until the day that he passed. And um, I, too, uh, he showed me his musical talents um, on the washer and dryer how to play Wipeout, and that was kind of it. <laughs> That's where everything started for me. But um, through all that, he didn't have a father growing up. Uh, his father, he was a baby boomer. He, His dad took off when he was nine. He never saw him again. Um, that being said, I think he did the best with what he didn't have from a dad, and, and he never really had any money. Um, but he showed me all these lessons without actually saying, son, this is a lesson. Like, by not having money, he took me on things like bike rides or made up silly games when we lived in the middle of Menifee when nothing existed out here 20 years ago or 30 years, however long ago. And to me, that was cooler than Magic Mountain. That was cooler than anything. Um, You know, to the day he died, he showed me all the values that I hold today. And uh, that's, yeah. That's great, Austin. Good. (laughs) One or two more. Uh, Hi, my name is Mike. Um, My dad was my my original hero. 
he died in his early 50s. And he taught me one thing, how to be a man. And I love him. And I'm going to see him again soon. Thanks. As I'm, as I'm walking over there, my name's Frank. And I think my dad taught me two things. Um, first and foremost, this, because this was in the 70s, and back then it wasn't really cool for men to be sensitive or whatever else, and I think he taught me that it was cool to love your kids. Mm. Um, and, at, at, again, in, in rural Texas, that was, you know, you had to be manly, but it was manly and cool to love your kids. And then the second thing that he taught me as I got older is I realized my dad wasn't perfect. And so my dad taught me that it was okay to be – I don't know if he taught me that on purpose, <laughs> but uh, – it's okay to make mistakes because we're going to. And you feel a lot of pressure to be the perfect dad and the perfect person uh, raising your kids, and it's not until you get older that you realize that your dad's got feet mm -hmm. of clay just like everybody else does. All right. All right. Y'all don't have to tell him I said that last part, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, my name's Robert, and, yes, the party's at my place on the 30th, so I expect <laughs> to see everybody come. Um, I get emotional when it comes to my dad. Because he was my best friend. And the best thing that my dad taught me was to serve others. Whether it was on the softball, baseball field, where he taught me how to throw out, throw out coaches and managers when they argued with, them, with us. Um, you know, that was a time that I just don't remember, but... Um, the best thing that I remember about my dad was actually when he was on his deathbed. And he, the doctor came in to see him, and his, one of his best friends was in the room with him. And um, because of the HIPAA privacy and so forth, he asked his friend to step out of the room. And so the doctor came in, and next thing he, you know, his friend hears is his name being called. So his friend went back in the room, and he said, Tell Doc who we believe in. And even though my dad was on his deathbed, he was still sharing the, the person that we serve today, which is our Lord and Savior. And that's just who my dad was. I, I remember at the age of 11, I was playing football in the middle of the street with my friends, and he said, get on the bike and go chase down that van. And I didn't know what that van was, but it was the newspaper man. And my dad just taught me to work hard and serve others and put other people first. <laughs> I love you, Dad. Amen. If you're... Sorry. <laughs> so, for those of you that don't know or can't tell because I'm his identical clone, that's my dad. Um, and if there's anything that my dad has taught me, it's that you risk everything because God called you to, even when it doesn't make sense. Um, he has always encouraged, I can't look at you. <laughs> um, no, he's always encouraged me my whole life to, uh, do what God's called you to do because he gives you certain talents. And, um, you know, I grew up and dad always wanted a, you know, varsity basketball star son. And <laughs> that is not what he got. <laughs> Um, but, you know, he realized that God gave me talents in the arts, and he always encouraged me to go after that and to pursue that. And then seven years ago, he encouraged me to risk everything and to move out to California and work in the entertainment industry because that's what God told me to do. But little did he know that two years after that, God would tell him to risk everything and move out here to the middle of nowhere. 
<laughs> and do a whole bunch of new people to a state that he would have probably sworn he would never move to, <laughs> even just a couple years before that. Um, but, you know, even today, as I decide different things in my life, he's always encouraging me to be like, you know, what has God called you to do? And uh, if he's asking you to get out of the boat, like he's going to be speaking on today, if he's asking you to, to stay and to wait for him, like that's what you do. Um, and you've done an amazing job your whole life showing me and my siblings that. So. All right. Now what am I going to do? <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, everyone else. Those are very kind words. I don't think I need to speak now because of what you just said. <laughs> if you're a dad, would you stand? Let's pray over our dads. Today, Lord Jesus Christ, we choose to honor dads and reflect on the legacy that they have brought us into our life. And so, Lord Jesus, I just pray together with everyone in this room that those who are standing, who seek to be faithful fathers, that you would just richly bless them today with encouragement. For those of us who have dads passed away, we can't speak those words of affirmation directly to them, but for those of us who have our fathers here, we can, as surely as my son just spoke those words to me. And so, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would bless the fathers. And Lord, many times on a day such as this, there's this strong challenge for fathers to to pull things together and move on and up and out and, and uh, a lot of times we just overlook what we need to do which is to thank our fathers and to bless them and so Lord from your heavens may your spirit descend and strengthen the ties that bind dads to their children fathers to their grandfathers grandfathers to their grandchildren Lord, we pray, God, that we would find us as a church body and family being fathers to those who are fatherless and that we would be a community of people who nurture and care one for another and come alongside each and every individual. As surely as there's individuals teaching and sharing in children's ministry this morning, we pray, God, that we would be a church that nurtures well and points people to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So on this Father's Day, statistics say that um, 80 to 90 percent of men continue to try to live up to their expectations of the father, to impress their father, to earn accolades from their father, even if their fathers have passed away. There's something intrinsic in that father child relationship that calls us out and I believe part of that intrinsicness has to do because we have a heavenly father and the scriptures teach us 
that if we've received Christ in our life, that we have become children of God. And as children of God, there's a longing in our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. And to be able to live in honor of Him. And so, this is not just for fathers this morning. This is for ladies and and young adults and students alike. If you want to be a God-centered person, there is going to be something placed within you by the Holy Spirit that longs to live to the Father's pleasure. And if you're choosing a life right now that's not bent on living to the Father's pleasure, the Father of heaven, then you will live a life of discontentment. You will not have the affirmation that you need in your inner being. Your interior life will have something missing because you're not living to the glory of God the Father. But if you're choosing that route, then the still small voice of that Father's Spirit comes to you at different places and times and maybe on this Father's Day and just simply says to you, I love you. I'm pleased with you. You are my child. Come follow me. We started last week this series. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. And this series articulated the story that's found in Matthew 24. I mean, in Matthew 14. I'm just going to read through it quickly if you weren't here last week. Meanwhile, the disciples, verse 24, were in trouble far away from land. For a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out and said, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. Walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached down and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I want to go back to this statement. This statement in the New King James Version reminds us that this whole event of Jesus walking on the water, of Peter walking on the water towards Jesus was not necessarily initiated by Jesus to begin with. We said last week in another synoptic gospel of this that Jesus intended to walk by them. They had had the feeding of the 5,000 on the hill. Jesus withdrew to the hill to a lonely place and dismissed the rest of the crowd. He put the disciples in a boat. So in that sense, it was initiated by Jesus. 
They're on the Sea of Galilee. The winds whip up. They are fishermen, but they are still scared because how bad this storm is. They're out in the middle of the lake at 3 a.m. in the morning, and Jesus comes walking past them. The other synoptic gospel says he intended to pass them by. He didn't intend to go to them and say, hey, y'all freaked out in this boat. What are you going on? What's doing? What he intended to do was walk past them, and we don't know fully what he meant to walk past them other than to show him his glory and to show him who he was. And Peter's the one then who he yelled out after fearful it was a ghost, Lord, command me, you speak to me to get out of the boat. And so Peter did what? He finally put feet to his mouth and he got out of the boat. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. So on this Father's Day, Jesus, I believe, appears to each one of us. And he wants to show us his glory in our life. And there are certain things that he does when he passes by us to call us out of our normal life in order to be able to grow and develop. And so when Peter said, command me, Jesus did. Yes, come, get out of the boat. And Peter got out of the boat. And as I mentioned last week, a lot of times when, and this is, by the way, one of the more um, common known miracles in Scripture. As you would expect, people don't walk on water every day. If you've tried to do that and the water's a little bit deeper than that far, you're in trouble, right? So Jesus performs this miracle in the middle of this storm to call his disciples out of the boat into some other realm of faith and life. And this miracle is often portrayed as the miracle where Peter lost it because he took his sight off of Jesus and he began to sink. But Peter experienced something that the other disciples who stayed in the boat didn't get experience. And what he experienced was growth. What he experienced was growth. And the Heavenly Father comes to you and I and challenges us where we're at today and says, are you growing? Are you taking initiatives in your life? What my dad taught me was the same thing that was great to hear my son give some affirmation to me in my life about. And that is, you've got to take initiative. And you've got to take some risk. Not because you're just a foolish person, but because God's called you to be a faith-filled person. When Jesus Christ came into my dad's life, I think it radically re-altered the center of his very being. You know, a lot of times we don't like to share with our kids some of the downsides, the bad sides of our life. And my dad never really gave a lot of details, but I understood that my dad had a significant season of his life when he was not with Jesus that was rather embarrassing and indifferent to God. But when Christ came into his life, it re-altered the center of his being, and then he raised his whole family to be able to head in that kind of direction. Was my dad perfect? No, just like your dad's not perfect. But he had a faith-filled center to honor and grow in Christ that was passed on to us, and in that growth was the desire to follow hard after him, even if it meant scary things like getting out of a boat. You see, God has given us the opportunity to grow. 
But we are not normally prone to do things that we are fearful of in order to grow. The disciples that were in the boat, I mentioned it last week, were more of the failures than Peter who got out of the boat. If you're in the boat of life, and you can describe whatever boat it is, the idea of getting out of that, to see change, to take initiative, to take steps of faith, you have every reason to come up with a list of things that might happen if you got out of the boat. And that's going through their mind. This is scary. If I get out of the boat, uh, I could be criticized. I could be embarrassed. I could be filled with fear. I could possibly even die if I got out of the boat. So you're sitting there going through all these ideas. But here's the problem. You might think of all the things that might happen if you get out of the boat. But do you ever think about the things that happen if you stay in the boat? If you stay in the boat, one of the things you'll end up sacrificing in life is growth, transformation, development of your interior life. You're you're not going to exercise faith muscles. If you live in a protected, safe environment, and we mentioned last week there is no protected, safe environments. People die falling out of bed, right? And so you can't even just stay in bed. That if you are going to live, you need to seize opportunities to grow. Peter chose that opportunity when he got out of the boat. The others, they hung back in that particular moment. Peter, though he sank when he got his eyes off Jesus, experienced the presence of Christ grabbing a hold of him in his life. And then when they got back in the boat, it's one of those miracles. He passed by them to show him his glory. He passed by them. Then he saved Peter from drowning, and then he gets back in the boat, and he calms the storm, and they're all proclaiming, oh my goodness, you are the Son of God, his glory. There was something experienced in that boat that their heart filled with great joy. But a lot of times, we're hesitant. We're hesitant to let go and step out of that. This, uh, the whole title, I don't know, maybe it came from someone else originally, but I do know when it was put as a book title, then it was remembered by several people. I know it was remembered by me, but more that way. But, um, John Ortberg, in his book entitled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat, he articulates this story in a chapter I think appropriately called Boat Potatoes. <laughs> Sometime after Florence, my paternal grandmother, died, my grandfather called my mother with an unusual offer. Kathy, he said in his heavy Swedish accent, I was going through some of Florence's things in the attic when I came across a box of old dishes. I was going to get rid of them, but I noticed that they're blue, your favorite color. Why don't you take a look at them, and if you want them, then they're, hey, you're, you're, they're yours. Otherwise, I'll give them to the Salvation Army. Sometime after Florence, my paternal grandmother died, my grandfather called my mother with an unusual request. Kathy, he said in his Swedish accent, I was going through some of Florence's things in the attic. Just a second. How is that repeated? Wow, that's a strange thing in my Kindle. Sorry. So, my mother went through the attic expecting to find some run-of-the-mill dinnerware. Instead, when she opened the box, she was looking at some of the most exquisite china she'd ever seen. Each plate had been individually painted with a pattern of forget-me-nots. The cups were inlaid, mother-of-pearl, 
The dishes and cups were trimmed with gold. The plates had been handcrafted in Bavarian factory that was destroyed during the Second World War, so they were literally irreplaceable. Yet my mother had been in the family for 20 years, and she had never seen this china before. She asked my father about it. He had grown up in the family, and he had never seen the china either. Eventually, they found out from some older family members about the story of the china. When Florence was very young, she was given the china over a period of years. They were not wealthy people, and the china was quite valuable. So she only got a piece at a time for gifts, confirmation, graduation, or birthdays. Why had my parents never seen it? Well, to know that, you have to know something about the character of Swedes. We are a cautious kind of people. We don't roll the dice easily. For instance, my two great aunts lived for 80 years in a beautiful Victorian home built by my great-grandfather in the 1800s. The most beautiful room in the house was a parlor. It was generally reserved for very special guests. No guest that special ever came to the house. (laughs) So the parlor didn't get used much. Whenever Florence received a piece of china, because it was so valuable, because it was used, it might get broken. She would wrap it very carefully in tissue, put it in a box, and store it in the attic for a very special occasion. No occasion that special ever came along. So my grandmother went to her grave with the greatest gift of her life unopened and unused. Then my mother was given the dishes. She uses them promiscuously every chance she has. They have finally made it out of the box. Can you relate to that story? I don't have Swedish grandparents. I I can relate to that. You're so cautious and protective. It's such a great gift. When you have such a great gift, you can do one of two things. It's such a great gift that I don't want to jeopardize it because it might get ruined. It might get broken. Someone may not treat it right. Someone may not understand the value of it. So I'm going to protect that gift. Or you can say, This is an incredible gift. Can you believe I've got this gift? And you then choose to not only embrace the gift, but to use the gift and share the gift and offer the gift. Every one of us in this room have been given an incredible gift. There's no two of us alike. And we have a choice what to do with the gift that God has given us. Now you may say, I don't know what that gift is, but you know, Talk around, experiment around, challenge it around. We can dive into it, look at it a little bit, the whole thing of what your calling is, how you're wired, your things you, you like, you don't like. I mean, I just got a FaceTime call from my other son who's back in Indiana this summer, and he's working on a rental house I own back there. I'm trying to get turned around to re-rent. And he FaceTimed me his project that he did on the porch this morning. And he says, Dad, look at this. He painted it. He added some trim to it because it was sort of broken down. He says, I like doing this stuff. I like working outside with wood and being able to to see what I've done. That's a different kind of gift than my son, Ryan. And he knows that down here. But Ryan, he's going to be reading scripts this afternoon, I'm sure, as he's involved in in, in all the production of the shows that he helps give assistance to and, and that kind of thing, because that's where his heart's wired. My kids are wired uniquely, differently. Don't worry, Grace, I'm not going down the line to you or Levi. You're good. 
That would be very embarrassing. So here's the deal. You and I have been given gifts. Jesus wants to call those gifts out of us. And some of those gifts have to do with things that are unseen, like gifts of faith and love and trust and initiative, empowerment to make things happen, the ability to nurture and care for people in beautiful ways. And the gift that we have been given is tremendously valuable. But sometimes we stay, what? In the boat. And there's understandability because if you get out of the boat, some of that preciousness can be compromised. Some of that calling that you have, though it could be actualized, may also have to go through some challenges, some trials, some tribulation aspects. But Jesus wants you to get out of the boat because the growth is not in the boat. The growth is outside of the boat. So I want to jump to another story real quick that you're familiar with. I've never really correlated these two stories before, but you'll see how they come together, hopefully. It's the story of the CEO and three employees, or the parable of the talents. You remember this story? I'm not going to read the story. You can find it in Matthew 25. But in this story, the owner of a a large estate, a lot of wealth, he calls three of his servants... And he says, I'm going on a long trip. And when I go on this trip, I want you guys to to be active. And he says, I'm going to give you five talents. I'm going to give you two talents. And I'm going to give you one talent. And I'm going to go on a trip and I'm going to come back. Now, a talent was a lot of money. You need to understand that it was basically the amount of like 15 years of wages. People lived day to day then. If you saved up money for a year's worth of wages, you were seen as a really, really rich person. So to be entrusted with 15 years of wages as one talent, I mean, that was like a a Bill Gates handout. And the person with one talent and the person with two talents, there's another place, three talents, and five talents, they were given varying degrees of giftedness. But each of them were called to steward it well. And we know how the story goes. In the story, the one with five talents says, I've been given this great gift. Look what the master entrusted to me while he was gone. And so he went out, took his entrepreneurial ability, some other giftedness, and he multiplied that five talent. So also with the two talent. But the person with the one talent went and buried it. You remember the story? Why did he go and bury it? Well, there's different reasons to think about that, but there's a couple, three things I want to highlight. The first is this concept of the Lord of the gift. Christ is Lord of the gift. This is not a story about somebody making the money, having started with the money themselves. It was given to them. So everyone in this room has been given a gift, a talent, uh, an ability to serve God. 
that is not yours. We live in a very narcissistic world that makes us try to pump ourselves up to make ourselves feel better. Pride everything is like, oh, look at me. Look what I've done, right? Well, here's the reality. Whatever you've done has been given to you by the one who created you. And that is a gift. Christ is the Lord of the gift that's been given to you. And we acknowledge that. Now, there were three different servants. And, and, and part of the reason that there's three verses, you know, there's usually, why couldn't you have told the story with just two? Because I think with three, it shows varying degrees of giftedness. And it may not be the volume or the wealth of the giftedness. It may be just the different kind of dimension. So each person has been given something different. We need to acknowledge that, that he is the Lord of the gift and how we then go about applying it. But then the second thing that comes up in this story is that Christ is the Lord of the settled account. Now, they got going along pretty good, but when they came back to this whole concept that the, the master was going show, that he was going to show up, that there were some things that they, they had to reckon with. And so he came back. He came back. The master was full of praise for the first one. And he said what? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount, so I now give you many more responsibilities. The servant who had received two bags or the two talents came forward. Master, I've done the same thing. And he was given the good and faithful servant command as well. Then the servant with the one bag of silver, the talents came. Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, now this is a little harsh, don't you think? You wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I had harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you at least deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. There is a day of reckoning, I believe, that each of us have to give before our master concerning the talents that have been entrusted to us. We may think he's been gone for a really long time. But the moment you pass from this side to the next side, even if you're a believer of Christ, you get the welcome in, good, you get the welcome in, you're a child of mine. But Scripture seems to imply um, this other kind of discerning judgment of how well did you do with what I gave you. There is a day that we are going to have to reckon with that which we've been entrusted. Do you think there was a comparison going on? Is that why the first servant got a little, I mean, the servant with one talent got a little frustrated? It's like, why didn't I get two? Why didn't I get five? What's the deal with this? Ah, forget this. I'm not going to spend my time trying to please the master when he shortchanged me, even though it was 15 years worth of wages to try to do something with. It happens to us easily. Or maybe it was fear. Oh, my goodness, he comes back, and if I lose one penny of this, I'm in trouble, so I'm just going to bury it, and then I'll be able to give it back to him. Or maybe it was the third. Maybe it's just point-blank lazy, sloth. You know, I think one of the greatest challenges of getting out of the boat, of not being a boat potato, is probably the last. Because we live in a culture that's wanting us to 
have comfort. And we have a lot of comforts. One of the things my father passed on to me as well was a sense of a good day's work, right? A work ethic. No, we're not going in until that project's done. Oh, okay, Dad. But a lot of times it's easy to just let things slide these days. One of my uh, favorite possessions in my house is called a lazy boy. It's not called a risky boy. It's not called a get-or-done boy. It's called a lazy boy for a reason, because I like comfort. And I'll be honest with you, there's times when I would prefer just to stay in the lazy boy than to get up and take my gift and go make something happen for God's glory. Comparison, the fear, we talked about fear last week, the sloth, all those things come into play when we choose not to use the gift that's been entrusted to us from God. Christ is the Lord of the gift. Christ is the Lord of the settled account. But Christ is also the Lord of the reward. He gave them more. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. If you use your gifts and your talents well and you grow well in the Lord, you have no idea what your reward will be. Well, I shouldn't be motivated by rewards. Why not? Jesus talks about rewards all the time. Well, you know, my reward sometimes is just being in the God's presence or serving him. You know, we got that humility thing going, right? We think it's stroking pretty good with it. Friends, the Father wants to see His children succeed, to take their gifts, to multiply, to grow, to bring honor to Him. And He will richly reward those who faithfully serve Him and get out of the boat to trust Him at His command. What about the one with one talent? Pretty harsh. Then He ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver, to those who use to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. How do these two stories relate? Peter says, you command me. And Jesus says, all right, I will. Come to me. Get out of the boat. He was passing them by. It was Peter's initiative to say, Lord, I trust you. I want to come to you. That initiative, each of us need to take in our life. And we need to pass on to our kids. To not be the boat potatoes. To shrink back in frustration of comparison. Or the paralyzing fear that comes our way or the sloth that can so easily start to settle in a sense of comfort we need to pass on the initiative to say command me jesus to come to you that's a bold request don't you think you weren't getting that request from talent number one guy talent number five guy he was like yeah 
bring it on, give it to me. I want to produce. I want to be able to take initiative and risk for you. I want to encourage us that we do not allow ourselves to just rest back on our laurels. This isn't a pull out the whip, dads, get your act together today. But I am just like you. I know what life does. And there's sometimes the slow drift away from becoming everything called God called you to be and to live that life in front of your kids. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. One of the most important things for you to settle with in that understanding is the reality that we like being in the boat. But if you stay in the boat, there's a cost. It's a cost greater than the cost of sinking in water or having fear. It's the cost of not growing. Everything grows. We like to see things grow. An infant to their first year multiply their weight about four times. It's good that slows down after a while, otherwise they'd be 400 pounds in just a couple years, right? We are called to grow. If you have a company, you want to see that company grow. If you are um, someone who likes to garden, you like to see crops grow, your vegetation grow. So the question is, are you growing? And if you're not growing right now, could it be because you have hesitation to stay in the boat? I wanted to get some more specifics into this, but I decided to just let it be there because this is one of the things I'm always encouraged by as a pastor on Sunday morning. It's not my voice you need to hear. It's the Spirit's voice you need to hear. And the Spirit, if you're a Christ follower, dwells within each of you. You just need to slow down long enough in silence and wait on Him to ask the Lord what He wants to command you to do. And He will tell you. It may be something insignificant and small. It may be something that's daring and very risk-taking. But Jesus is going to be there no matter what the storm is. And you are going to behold His glory work in your life in ways you've never thought possible before. But we in our culture, need to get out of the boat, not for our own glory, but for the glory of Christ. Will you consider what the Lord wants you to do? And men, if your fathers this morning, what kind of legacy are you passing on to your kids? I think part of me was thrown for a whole loop today by Ryan sharing. <laughs> but that's okay. Life's short hard for me to believe it was nine years ago that my kids were all those sizes you saw in that picture there's a lot of things we can spend our time and our money and our talents doing that don't last a lifetime and into eternity but how you invest into your children around you invest into your friends invest into students children that you try to mentor makes a world of difference. As they say, you don't see a hearse with a U-Haul attached to the back end. Right, Josh? No U-Hauls over at the England Mortuary. <coughs> but what you do take with you is the legacy of changed lives.
and legacies of faith and empowerment and boldness that will live on in stories from one generation to the next. May we serve Christ well, the one who gave the gift, the one who will hold us accountable to the gift, and the one who will reward us with how well we steward the gift, the gift of our life, the gift of our calling, and the gift of our talents and our abilities and our financial resources. Will you pray with me? Joe, would you come? Lord, I ask this morning that you would just take a simple story of getting out of the boat and a story of the parable of the talents that you taught and you would help recenter ourselves on some active plan maybe that we've sort of shelved in recent years of our life. Lord, maybe because of fear, maybe because of sloth, maybe because of frustrating comparisons to other and say, well, what does it matter in my life? Lord, may we re-embrace the gifts you've called us to, steward for your purpose. And may we use them well in serving you and serving others and leaving a legacy for our kids. In your name we pray, amen. The ushers are going to come receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your connection cards. Let's sing. Stories of one Think your life like a tender whisper of love, dead of night and eternity. Then you're pleasing that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. And I see many searching for answers, far and wide Good, good father. 
Even if you are fatherless here today, your Heavenly Father draws near to you. Well, Dad, you have a great Father's Day. And uh, we got a treat for you on the way out. We got some Dad's Root Beer, and I think there's some other packet of treat for you out there. That's for the dads, everybody. I know that some of you like the Dad's Root Beer, but we'll, we'll start with that. May you go and be blessed this week as you serve the Heavenly Father with your gifts. God bless you.